You may be shocked to know that the United States government has the world's largest immigration detention system. Over 50,000 people are caged daily by Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, in a network of over 200 detention centers. Immigrant detention is growing at a shocking rate. The scope of the detention system has increased by over 40% in just three years under the Trump administration. But we, immigrants, activists, and organizers, have the solution. Communities, not cages. Communities, not cages. Communities, not cages. The Communities, Not Cages campaign supports local groups that are fighting to close existing detention centers, stop the construction of new detention centers, and end the proliferation of ICE into other government agencies. Shut down the Adelanto Detention Center because people shouldn't be separated from their loved ones. Stop the construction of a detention center because our community knows You're listening to Support Don't Deport. I'm Alejandra Pablos, your host. Support Don't Deport is a deportation defense podcast where I sit with organizers around the country fighting deportation and La Migra. Together, we deconstruct criminalization, the incarceration to deportation pipeline, and we redefine justice in thriving communities. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode. What y'all heard at the beginning was a clip of the Communities Not Cages campaign audio. Communities Not Cages is a campaign by the Detention Watch Network that focuses on supporting local groups organizing to close down existing detention centers, stop new ones, and end collaborations with ICE and other government agencies. And actually, I was in that video, and you also heard Mario at the end. He is one of the lead organizers at the Shutdown Adelanto campaign in California. And today, um, you know, we get to hear Mario tell his story. Uh, my name is Mario. I'm with the Inland Coalition uh, for Immigrant Justice. And um, right now, my efforts are really towards humanitarian support. And um, what that looks like is like helping people post detention and also um, helping them get the resources that they need, whether it be like medical, housing, jobs. Um, and then I'm also the coordinator for the um, Emergency Response Network which is a hotline that we have and folks can call it whenever they're at risk of being detained or deported. And then we can um, assess what needs what needs to be done so that obviously we can help them. Mario's from Mexico. His mom is from Michoacan and his dad is from Mexico City. And Mario was also born in Mexico City, but he moved here when he was about five years old. Mario and I met organizing with the national nonprofit, the Detention Watch Network. He is also in deportation proceedings for a DUI. And while his queer ass is an all-around amazing human, I just had to interview on this show. I'm going to call this episode No Justice, No Peace. Because fighting the arrest to deportation pipeline for a dreamer like Mario, who has quote-unquote criminal charges, is an even tougher task. Rehabilitation is not a right for non-citizens who have had interaction with la policia. There's no due process, very little defense. But we will also hear from other organizers fighting with him in the trenches. Uh, my name is Janaya Dunlap. I am the Deportation Defense Coordinator for the Inland Coalition for Immigrant Justice. But I've actually been working on rapid response work and, and immigration work in general for more than 12 years now. And that's Janaya, who's been organizing on the ground, supporting undocumented folks and fighting ICE. I think I've learned a lot over the last decade or so. I, mean, I think I came into the work really naive and really not understanding what I was doing and really just learned by, you know, being told by folks, by listening, by you know, like learning as I went, right? Um, but I think, you know, like my focus right now is around rapid response work, both the legal side and the humanitarian side and how those intersect. Mario and Janaya share about their organizing work and the support that people in proceedings need. 
Most importantly, Mario shares the story of how he has been criminalized for not having citizenship. He talks about going through the racist court system and the steps he's taking to be safe from deportation. I, you know, I was detained after um, my second DUI. Mm-hmm. And so um, ICE showed up to my house, picked me up. Um, and it, it's one of those things where it was so, like, surreal, like, I honestly like I I I know it was hap- I knew it was happening but it was one of those things where like I never I never ever thought this would happen to me right. you know and so um I get picked up and taken over like I was um after I after I was processed I got taken over to Adelanto mm-hmm. like I said I kind of went in there with okay like two weeks not not ideal but two weeks I can you know handle it mm-hmm. two weeks turn into like a month mm mm-hmm. A month turned into three. Mm. And then by the third, I was just like, okay, like, by then I had started to, like, really get involved and, like, really, like, um, educate myself Mm. from, like, everybody that had been there and just reading and, like, really, like, just honing in on, like, what what could help me. So, in a sense, I started kind of, like, piecing my case together and I would call my attorney like hey what do we why don't we do this or it was it, it, it was different and, th- and this is where I go back to my attorney was not good and did not do his best in the sense that I kept seeing people going to court hearings and coming back with bonds or being released with you know like heavier charges in mind which mm. you know we're not going to talk about that because that doesn't matter you but then serious, i was like it's more, more like, serious yeah mm-hmm. but then i was like okay like mine aren't that serious why am i not getting a bond mm-hmm. so like what, what is he doing that's not all right that's not helping me so did you start seeing community organizations inside did you start hearing the news like how were you hip to like what also was going on outside so a lot of my news came well the, like the actual like the only news was like through uh my family mem- members visiting because while you're in detention, especially in Adelanto, like you're not, you're getting Fox News. Mm. You're getting like the high desert um, mm-hmm. newspaper, which is conservative. Well, you actually got a newspaper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got La Opinion too, but we know La Opinion is. <laughs> but yeah, so there's really no news coming in. And so that's when I um, started really thinking like, okay, like none of these things are working. So I really need to like start making some moves. And that's when I told my sister, okay, like, Go here, go there, like um, try to get try to get this letter, try to get that, and that's how my boss at the time. She was um, she's 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 very involved. She's very progressive and very involved in politics, and she actually reached out to um, our colleague Ide, um, and she said, "Hey, like, listen, I have this friend. He's in detention, and Ide was working with the coalition, and she passed along my case to Janaya." And then that's and and by then I had already lost my case, so well, I was you were about to lose it. I was yeah, I was about to lose yeah. my case. Wait, you had your political asylum case in detention? In detention. Wow, yeah. that was fast. Yeah. yeah, it went by really fast. Action Adelanto. Most cases go through the system before the six months comes up, mm-hmm. and so it's a really it's a really difficult situation mm-hmm. because they they argue that he could not qualify for asylum because he had not applied when he was five years five years old. Right. And so that and you know before he had probably even come out. Right. Which you're saying in order for you people to apply for asylum, you need to have done it within five years of 
entering the country within one year within one year within one year mm. so that's mm-hmm. usually the reason that folks that have been here a while don't win asylum so his only relief was actually with withholding a removal which for folks that don't know withholding has a much higher standard of you have to prove that it's more than likely that you're going to suffer harm based on your ground of protection right um instead of like with asylum it's a little bit more lenient and it also doesn't lead to any status even if you do win your case which is mm. really hard that's the reason why he's in this Awful. really big dilemma. What we call regular bond hearing is when the person gets their first um, custody redetermination before an immigration right. judge. Mm-hmm. And in that hearing, they have to prove that they're not a flight risk and that they're not a danger to the community, right? So what the Rodriguez bond, which was litigation through the ACLU, accomplished mm. uh, for, for the Ninth District for a long time before the Supreme Court turned it, overturned it, was to create this opportunity for this person to fight for another custody redetermination, as they call it, after six months of being detained. And... The unique thing about this bond hearing is that now it's the government's burden to prove that you are a flight risk and that you mm-hmm. are a danger to the community. Right. And so that's that's what it's based off of. And a lot of people get a chan- chance to either lower in a ridiculously, insanely high bond or they get a chance to get the first bond ever, which right. in Mario's case was what happened after right. the six months. Yeah, so I lose my case and then I basically have, I think, like a month to really like prepare for Rodriguez. And I knew the DUIs were going to come up. I knew that they were going to say I was a flight risk because I had already lost my case and because of the DUIs. But, you know, prior to being detained, I had uh, I had been in rehab for four months. I had like done the steps to like really like get it together. And and it wasn't court ordered. It was it was me myself wanting to, you know, right. get back on my grind and like really like get my life together. And so mm-hmm. when that was argued, I was like, no, like you cannot tell me that. Like, I pay $400 a, a, a week out of pocket. And the, the whole, like, you know, DUI class is such a joke. It's, it's, not, it's not even, that there's no rehabilitation there. And I'm doing it right now because I, with, you know, having to keep my license. Mm-hmm. But it's a joke. Mm-hmm. You're not getting any, anything out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, all, of, all that they're getting is money. But, you know, if you really want to, like, improve, rehabilitate yourself and, like, really, like, get your life together, like, you have to do it on your own terms. Your own. And you have to, like... And it costs money. Yeah. So, yeah. So when, um, and I remember like talking to my attorney, I was like, I know that this is going to be presented. You have to do everything in your power to fight that because that is not true. I was mm-hmm. like, I don't care if it's bringing um, staff members from the rehab place, getting people that I was there with, getting letters. So we got all of that. And I re- like when I was in court, um, obviously like the DHS attorney was like, really, no, like you are, you are going to just go out there and do this again. And I was like, no, because one, I have a breathalyzer in my car. Two, I was in rehab for four months, you know, and I have like all of the support system. So, no, it's not going to happen. Like, right. But yeah. let's talk about something else, too, which is the fact that a lot of times people are picked up by ICE during either when they're completing sentences, like what happened in mm-hmm. Mario's case, or before they're sentenced. And so they're basically, uh, you know, making them making them unable to even complete the, the yeah. criminal justice. right side of things mm-hmm. even to begin with so we have people like in his case where his ankle bra- bracelet monitor was broken off we have cases where folks that you know i didn't even communicate with the court or with probation and so they literally put the person on record as having violated the mm-hmm. terms of the release yeah. and so this this can actually cause people to be given more punitive sentencing right. or be given an additional charge they didn't even have to deal with right missing court dates and not having any idea that the person is is detained right. you know not uh, not having access to any way to complete their sentence mm-hmm. not having any way any way to deal with the judge Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that this is something that it's another another whole aspect of this that I think a lot of times doesn't even get looked at, right? So um, yeah, so after like all of that was presented, the judge said, "Okay, like yeah, like you you are not you are not a danger. 
which I was like, okay, I told you, Clearly. but okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, thank you for the obvious. Um, so yeah, it's, you're not a danger, but um, you are you are a flight risk in the sense that you've already lost your case. So we'll give you a bond, but it's going to be high. It was like 12500 And And who came up with that money? So, oh, and then um, the DHS attorney wanted to appeal that. So they really wanted to make sure I was of in there. Of course. And then um, I remember thinking 12500 there is no way my family's going to come up with this after paying, like, all of these, and like, they attorney fees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I remember thinking, like, okay, cool, I have a bond, but I'm going to be here for a while because, it, yeah, like, it's way too much. So the thing is that because we, you know, because it's not a lot of folks giving funds for bonds, mm-hmm. we had very little money. I think at the time when his case came up, we had, like, $2,000 in our fund. And so we just like I remember when his sister called us up and told us like hey he has this bond, is there any way you can get us some get us some money today? And I was like no, there's no way because we don't even have that money. And so it was just like this this situation where we even people that want to help and want to give resources for this kind of thing don't even have it. Right. And and so that that even just sets us back even further in being yeah. able to get someone out. And if nonprofits don't have it, yeah, what the fuck, yeah, like right. how are families supposed to have it? That's and keep in mind, like, I had to pay, like, 7000 My My family had to pay, like, $7,000 in attorney fees, plus have a psychologist come in, give me a psychological evaluation so that I can present it and tell the judge, look, I'm I'm good. Like, nothing's going to happen. Luckily, like, I, I um, have a cousin who had the money on her, and she was able to pay my bond that same day, got it the same day. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I'm, like, super fortunate because I not only had, like, you know, the support from my family, but also from ICIJ. And, you right. know, they were really, like, out there, like, making sure that the community was community was behind me and that my case was known and, you know, saying, like, this is what's happening to, like, one of your community members. Right. One of the – basically, it's, it's like a – I don't know, like a contract kind a, of? A term of release. Yeah, a term right. of release, which is, um, you know, you're under supervision. You cannot – I basically come out and, um, you know, I'm under these terms where it's like, we're watching you. You cannot make any mistakes because the minute that you do, you're going to go right back in. Uh, when I was when I was released, my ICE officer came, put the um, ankle monitor on me, gave me a paper and said, you're going to mm-hmm. uh, check into this office like on this date. I think it was like a week after and they'll explain things to you. But f- for now, just basically like. Make sure that you your battery on your ankle monitor is on at all times. Make sure you, you, all that stuff. Very minimal. Um, and so, yeah, I went to go check in um, with, uh, with ISAP. That's what they call it. And you're designated a case manager mm-hmm. that basically you check in with. Uh, for myself, I check in with him um, every two weeks. And then I have home visits every week. So are those like a deportation officer? Or do you still also have a deportation officer? I still have a deportation officer, but um, the case manager is kind of like the person between myself and the deportation officer. So ICE kind of just transfers your case over to ISAP, and then they're the ones that are watching you. And if there's any kind of violation or anything, then it gets reported back to your ICE officer. So let's say I want to leave the state. I need to get permission. I need to ask my case manager, and then my case manager needs to get permission from my ICE officer. Um, ISAP is part of the GEO group. So the same group so that runs Adelante. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a, so this it's is a like, private mm-hmm. company. This is like the incarceration past the yes. detention center, right? Correct. Correct. Every week you can do like a little, fa- you're going to uh, use a facial recognition um, uh, program and um, 
but you're still gonna have to come and check in. Everything was kept the same, mm-hmm. but instead of an ankle monitor, I would be tracked through a through an app on my phone, and that's kind of when it hit me that I was like, okay, this is this is creepy. Yeah. Basically, what they tell you is make sure your location is on. Make sure like on this day from these two hours, like you have this window to do the facial recognition. And that's- Stay with us. Be right back. Hey, listeners, it's Alejandra, your host. And at Support Don't Deport, we want to uplift organizing work that is centering directly impacted people, that is centering decarceration work. So today, we're going to shout out the work of the Detention Watch Network. DWN is a national network for legal advocates and organizers. And particularly today, I want to talk about the defunding ICE work, especially through the campaign called Communities Not Cages. Check this out. Estamos siguiendo luchando para la liberación de todos los inmigrantes. Mientras estamos luchando para los cierres de estas detenciones, queremos ver que todos los inmigrantes dentro de estas detenciones sean tratados con dignidad y con humanidad. I think the best way that I've been able to summon up being detained in Adelanto has been like a psychological torture because you just don't know when you'll be free, if you'll be free, when you're going to be able to see your family again, whether you're going to be deported or you're going to be remaining in the U.S. What I'm seeing in Adelanto is that people that are not bilingual or are not able to defend themselves are being left behind because they just cannot get the resources that they need, whether it be medical help or even a toothbrush, soap. The reason why it's really important for us to fight for the shutdown of this facility in Adelanto is because it impacts our community in many ways. And from the fiscal year of 2017 to 2018, um, San Bernardino County, which is our local county, uh, we had the highest in community arrests by ICE. And part of it is because we have such big capacity for detention. So we want to minimize that and make sure that our community has a chance to live and thrive in this area. Some of the work that we do is um, inform our community about what having a detention center means. That way they're informed about how toxic detention centers are for our community. And also we work towards helping liberate folks that are inside the detention center. And the third thing that we do is like we help advance policies at a local and statewide level. There's been seven deaths in, in Adelanto since they opened. And most of them, if not all of them, would have been able to be prevented with the adequate medical help, but it's not there. We are part of a lawsuit right now with Creek and the Southern Poverty Law Center and also Disabilities Rights Association. The biggest type of abuse inside of Adelanto is probably the medical neglect. Los que están detenidos ahí también tienen discapacidades y no se les ha ofrecido más recursos. Aunque este gobierno sigue fundando y dando muchos fondos de dinero a ICE, ICE no está usando esos fondos para apoyar a los inmigrantes y ver que ellos estén bien en la detención. Entonces, por eso estamos aquí y nuestra meta es que la criminalización 
administración de inmigrantes sea terminada y queremos ver que esos centros sean cerrados y que no sigan criminalizando a los inmigrantes. ICIJ supports people in detention by providing a hotline that family members can call to and also people in detention and they express their concerns and we make sure that we have documented everything that happened and that way we try to find the best solution on like how to help them with their cases. We also have visitation groups that go visit very frequently. Visitations is one of the most important things. Um, feeling like you're part of the community is very important especially because you're isolated. You're extremely isolated. If you visit somebody, you can give them the news. You can tell them, this is what's going on. We are fighting for you. We are doing this for you. And it offers them a lot of hope. That is the only way that, 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 is the only way that I was able to endure six months in there, was because I had family and I had friends and I had ICIJ that supported me when I was in there. In these visitations, we also use them to oversee and monitor what's happening in the facility. So many times, no one would know what's happening inside, but we're the first to know because we do visit regularly. And so when a hunger strike happens, we can go visit them and make sure that they're okay and make sure that we get the word out to media as well. We joined the fight to push for AB 32. So AB 32 will actually eliminate private detention centers in California. And that's extremely exciting because we want to make sure that we can offer other options than just detention or incarceration. AB 32 will take us even further by actually ensuring that these cases, cages like Adelanto and Mesa Verde shut down for good because our families and communities should not be torn apart for the sake of profit. We need to stop funding ICE and CBP so that we don't have these threats and proposals for expansion of detention centers because they are really toxic for our communities. And we need our legislators to really stand up for us as well. There's so much potential in my community and it's not being tapped into. We don't need these detention centers. We feel that if there wasn't any detention centers, we would be able to provide support to our community members in so many different other ways, um, economically, um, and we don't need detention centers to thrive economically, so we envision a community where we have enough resources, where we have mental health care that is provided for everyone. What we would benefit the most from is just more schools, recs, arts, things that actually like nourish our community and not just imprison them. I would be super excited to be one of the examples in the country to show that we got Adelanto shut down, we provided all of these resources, we have a backup plan to get people freed and get them legal help. That's my number one hope for my community, especially for ICAJ because we've been We're back. Thanks for staying with us. Go ahead and give those orgs a follow and support their work. Let's get back to the conversation, though, on surveillance by ankle shackles and phone applications with Mario and Janaya. Everything was kept the same, mm -hmm. but instead of an ankle monitor, I would be tracked through, a, through an app on my phone. And that's kind of when it hit me that I was like, okay, this is, this is creepy. 
Yeah. Basically, what they tell you is make sure your location is on. Make sure, like, on this day from these two hours, like, you have this window to do the facial recognition, and that's it. And it's like they, they have access to your microphone. They to have access microphone. to your camera. Right. You know? Your whole phone. Yeah. yeah. You've been checking in on this new app, this mm-hmm. new alternative thing alternative. for how long? Um, Since April. Yeah, so, like, yeah. most of the year. So, yeah, a little bit more than half of the year. So another another way of, like, house arrest, right. basically. Okay. And meanwhile, what y'all doing? What is your strategy? What are y'all looking into? So he's he's on um, BIA appeal right now. His brief is due this week. So it literally has to be sent to me for Christmas. Um, it could take a while. It's highly likely that they'll deny it. Then we'll go on to the Ninth Circuit. In the meantime, we're trying to get the two DUIs expunged so that he can be eligible for DACA again. So just and like expungement trying, works in California? It often does with DUIs. Um, there's no guarantee of it, but it's something that's worth trying. And I think at this point we're looking at going after every single possible. Mm, absolutely. You know, every possibility that could exist, right? Just like leave no stone unturned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is expungement something that like the community can pressure or is just like an application in the legal like courts? Well, it's, it's a motion. And usually for a lot of um, crimes, it's automatic. With DUIs, it's not. And so we have to do, he has to do this declaration about how he's this good person. He's reformed Again. himself, all that Again. bullshit. And then we have we to like as a work, be like, you know, like he's an amazing empo- employee. Like he's done all this amazing work. He deserves it. Like we have to prove that he's a good, deserving immigrant. Mm. So it's just like it's it's so much, sorry for the word, but bullshit, and it's so much criminalization mm-hmm. right? that he has to go through even to jump through this hoop to over get back and to, over again having right. to redefine humanity. Mm-hmm. You, yes, yeah. yeah. It's like let me let me explain why I went from a good immigrant to a bad immigrant to a good immigrant again. And so those mi- motions are already in to expunge the DUIs. We're working on We're it. Working on, working on it. it. Okay. <laughs> Things change from like one day to the next, so it's like one like we're seeing, you know. DACA could potentially be taken away. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to, like, make sure that we get everything done before, like, June or July when it's dismantled and... Beat the clock. Beat the right. clock, yeah. That's, I mean, that's all we can do at this point. And you touched on something before we move on about the tactics, the rue tactics, tactics mm-hmm. which means deceiving tactics, right? Mm-hmm. So how... What, Tim, tell me a little bit more about those tactics. What happened when they were picking you up? Yeah, so, I mean, that's what we're seeing in the Inland Empire, just, like, different... Obviously, they've become a lot more aggressive in the tactics that they use to pick up people. And they can get away with it, obviously, because, you know, it's it's rural. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just so much easier. So, you know, things from, like, posing as police officers. Okay. Yeah, and so you don't, you don't know who you're really talking to unless you've been educated on, you know... Knowing your rights. Know your rights, or this is what they wear, this is, you know, what vehicles... Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the that's one of the forms that we really have to like educate ourselves and like know who they are. We have to literally tell people in our community if someone comes to talk to you and looks like a police officer, be aware that they might be ICE. You shouldn't talk to any officer ever. Mm-hmm. And then also even just like, oh, the, the car that they use is your standard SUV, American made. Like you need to be suspicious of any car mm-hmm. that's an American made model that's following you. Like you need to watch for tinted windows. You need to watch for people that just have like a uh, chaleco that says ice. Like just right. even knowing how to identify who they are, right? Or right. even like, knowing like, do I have a risk that I may be followed mm-hmm. by ice? Mm-hmm. So since you started organizing, you mentioned mm-hmm. Naya and the whole squad. You've been out loud about your deportation case. You've been out loud about your the you know the con- the convictions, right? The charges. Is that how it's been, and how have you been growing as a as a as your analysis, right? As a public speaker, and yeah. Um, well, I honestly I got like the best training when I came on with ICIJ because 
they really took the time to like develop my leadership and mm. sending me to trainings, like nice. communications, like sitting me down and saying, all right, the media is going to try to get this and this out of you. So mm. you need to make sure that you come back with this and this and this, have your talking points. Okay. So everybody from the team has been able to like really uh, pass along the knowledge and develop different aspects of my leadership. Um, so I think that's why it's, it's like so important for like um, for other orgs to like really do that and really like develop the leaders. I got like all of these like trainings from um, from our, from my colleagues, and I was like super. Um, I was good with doing interviews and t- and being in panels and like speaking about everything. But then what happened is that the media started only like really focusing in on, okay, he got two DUIs. Mm. It wasn't, let's not talk about the mental health aspect. Let's talk about, he got, Mario, formerly incarcerated, was there because he had two DUIs instead of, that That was like the headline. Right. And that kind of like took a toll on me because I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. If, mm-hmm. if we're, if we're like doing an interview for a certain topic, why do we need to talk about DUIs? Why, why, like, what is the point? Yeah. You know? How is that relevant? How is that relevant? How is that helping me? Right. And so I, I started to, like, kind of shy away from doing mm-hmm. any of that. Yeah. I think that's the best thing that we learn as people who are having to engage in, in the front lines with their own stories is taking people back to the point that you want them to focus on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But how yeah. are y'all, like, fundraising now, knowing that, like, a lot of people are going to be having to get bonded out? You know what I mean? What does that look like? How's, how has it been for us easier, I guess? Has it gotten easier for us to get money since more people are aware of the issues in California? I don't think it's so much that's gotten easier. I think it, maybe it will once people realize the urgency of things. Um, but just to give an idea, even for Adelanto alone, with the number of people that are detained there, we would need like um, $20 million to get folks out, right? And that's a huge number. And that's just an average of saying that a bond would be like at least 10000 mm-hmm. which it, it goes up to like fifty. And, and yeah, and it's just like the fact that you have to pay 100%, right? And the fact that a lot of times these attorneys that are working with people that even are representing them for bond are being willing to agree to high bonds like this, so what happened in Mario's case. And we also had recently a case where this person, he was actually turned in by the police to ICE for no reason. Um, and in his case, he has no, he had no convictions whatsoever. And the attorney agreed with the TA that they were going to set the bond at 10000 And it's just like this, why we're so ridiculously high, right? And so we've been having to scrap and get bits of money here, bits of money there, just, like, put it all together, help them get loans through, com- mm-hmm. like, credit unions, like self-help, um, you know, like, using all of these different tactics to get it, to, get, to get, somehow get together enough money before the person's last court date to get them out. And we've had success because I think in the last couple months we've gotten um, probably, like, eight or nine people released, you know, like, one after, after another after another. Amazing, amazing. But it's just, like... Why does it take so much work to get nine people out when there's right. 2,000 people in Adelanto? And we don't have a lot of legal service-based nonprofits mm-hmm. out here in the Adelanto okay. well, Empire. Um, so we're, we mostly depend on private attorneys. And private attorneys are, one, obviously not as conscious of all these barriers. They aren't necessarily motivated to help because they're mm-hmm. just looking at getting a big buck or a quick buck. Um, I think it's also just an issue of... You know, the fact that people don't, you know, people don't have access to the kind of information support they need to right. better prove that they're not fight risks, that they're not a danger to the community. Um, obviously, the issue of not having any kind of financial means to pay for bond, just the, sh- the fact that it just keep, keeps going up and up. But it also makes me think of, like, the need for movement lawyers, right? The, mm-hmm. the need, yeah. yes. the call to action for, like, yo, y'all are trying to be going into law. Um, super important, but also it's you have to go into the law knowing you have to fight the law, mm-hmm. right? And like go into it and know it that is not just 
that is racially biased, right? So, like, I may not have the answer because this has been centuries of criminalization yeah. of systems that have, like, uh, marginalized and we've been dependent on, like, yeah. punitive yeah. culture, right? So I don't have the one answer, right, as yeah. an organizer, but I do know that it's not, like, this is not working. Right. And we have been talking about a vision of, like, when we abolish something, right, what are we creating? What do you mm -hmm. do with all these folks that are no longer in prison? Yeah, and that's, I think that's a continuing conversation, with um with some of the folks from from California and also just nationwide like how can the nation support us you know now that we now that we have this like what does this look like like what's going to happen um like i mentioned my main scope of work will be what are we going to do to support folks once they're out mm -hmm. because we're talking about let's abolish all of this let's let's get people out but what's going to happen with them mm -hmm. that's exactly what we should be talking about that's mm -hmm. exactly what your focus should be on you know in 2020 that's really exciting because also a lot of people in the abolition criminal justice movement they are doing that already right they're buying their own homes mm -hmm. yeah. they're creating their own communities right now and I think yeah. that's why we have so much to learn from the folks um, doing criminal justice work right now and uh, folks that are doing abolition that have I already agree. created and had this vision of like what is the array of alternatives we need yeah. right and we need to start at home, the revolution starts at home mm -hmm. in our communities of even how we're having compassion for each other, right? And how we're like unlearning to judge each other and un and police each other, right? Because that policing happens whether there's an ICE agent or there's a or there's not a cop there. We need to make sure that we are united. We need to make sure that we uh, tackle this on all fronts. We need to make sure that we get the community involved in organizing. And with that, we need to make sure that here in the state of California. Uh, beginning in beginning in 2020, that we make sure that as a community we stand united, and make sure that AB 32 is implemented, mm -hmm. and that it's um, and make sure make sure we hold people accountable, because we know that there's going to be pushback. We know that there's going to be folks that are going to try to fight against it. And so as a community, we know we need to make sure that you know AB 32 is a bill. It was signed, and it needs to be implemented and respected. Yes, thank you. Looking forward to to the organizing around that. I think that in addition to everything that's already being done, we need to look as a community at what else can be done that hasn't been looked at yet, right? So that looks like maybe that looks like advocating for people that are in criminal proceedings. Maybe that looks like being more present at people's bond hearings mm. so that we can pressure judges into giving people bond or lower bond that they might not otherwise do. Right. Maybe that looks like supporting folks when they get out of detention so that they're not at risk of going back in or just like going under, right? Maybe that looks like looking at some of these issues like alternatives to detention, entre comillas, like what does it look like to actually come together as a community against those to actually push for ICE to let people get off of these programs, to mm -hmm. stop using these as a way to keep people under their thumb, to pe keep people essentially in a form of detention even after they've been freed, right? right? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. That was perfect. Thank you for having us. Thank you to Mario and Janaya for their work. Additionally, thank you to Radio Jornalero and the National Day Laborer Organizing Network for letting us record originally in their space. Special thank you to Edgar Camberos and Luis Valentan for hooking it up. This has been Support Don't Deport, and I'm your host, Alejandra Pablos. To keep supporting the Keep Ale Free Deportation Defense Campaign, visit keepalefree.org.